This is Brian Reisman. Welcome to Side Jams, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'd like to thank Pantheon sponsor AKG for their support of this podcast. If you like what you hear, please dive into other episodes and subscribe to keep up with the latest ones. Hi, this is Adrian Smith, and you listen to Side Jams with Brian Reisman. Phil X became a major name in the rock world when he joined the ranks of Bon Jovi in 2013. Phil is an exuberant, talented guitarist who brings his own special energy to the iconic group, and for over two decades prior, he had worked with a number of famed rock artists, including Triumph, Aldo Nova, Alice Cooper, and Tommy Lee. Phil also played with his own group Powder in LA in the 2000s, and his current band The Drills has been active since then. They recently released a couple of new songs, Right on the Money and I Love You on Her Lips. If you like old school hard rock with groove and tood, check them out. I think you'll dig them. And if you look on YouTube, you'll find them jamming with a number of famous rockers. Like the rest of us, Phil has been adjusting to life in pandemic world. Over the last year, he and his family have become involved in charity for frontline workers with an endeavor they call the Hero Drop. For episode 41 of Side Jams, we spoke about that effort, along with him being a father in our topsy-turvy times, which includes encouraging his children's creativity, and he shared some tour travel stories and his desire to show his kids the world. He reminisced about a family trip to Greece as a child to learn more about his roots, which conjured up memories of my own trip to my mother's home country of Cuba four years ago. It was nice to finally speak with Phil, particularly as I wrote a biography called Bon Jovi, The Story. I was listening to Right on the Money, I'm a drummer, so I was enjoying the drum break. I'm like, oh, wait, I'm expecting this to go into like a big band thing all of a sudden. <laughs> There's a funny story to that. We were recording at Capitol Records with Chris Lord Algae. He was doing a how to track a live band off the floor at Capitol Records oh, wow. in Hollywood. And he called the Drills to be the band. And he said, just bring three new songs and we'll record them. So that was one of those songs, but it was like... Chris pulled the, the producer hat out. He came into the studio and I thought, you know, we would do that halftime, not halftime, but slower tempo break and then just kick into a, something and then kick into the last chorus. And he goes, hey, let's have a drum break. And I was like, what? And the funny thing was, is that it was so off the cuff that Brent didn't remember what he played <laughs> when we went to shoot the video or when like we were shot the video separately. So I was in L.A., Dan was in Burbank, which isn't far, but Brent was in Winnipeg, Canada. Oh, wow. So he did, he found he borrowed a, his uh, friend's basement and friend's son's kit and shot the video. And he was like, I don't have a lot of time to learn that breakdown. So I'm just going to like read a magazine and you can cut to something else. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> all right, well, let's just cut to some fan shots from the VIP meet and greets from the UK last March. 2020 before everybody locked down well i mean you guys a lot of your music you guys swing you know there's a boogie and it swings you know it's it's more old school i hear some 60s vocal harmonies kind of in there too there's a lot of you know i have such huge array of influences it all starts with the am radio when i was a kid and the songs on the am radio were all smashes like it was you know and it was like the bg's and Casey and the Sunshine Band, and uh, 10CC, The Things We Do for Love. It was all that stuff, right? Yeah. So when you grow up with that kind of music playing all the time, you, you become a huge fan of the chorus and background vocals. Yeah. 
and the song being a journey, like it starts and wow, that's a cool start. And then you have the verse and then you get to the chorus. So I tend to write the chorus first. Because if, uh-huh. if I write a killer verse, I got to beat that. And then if I have a, wow, okay, that's a really cool pre-chorus now. I got to beat that. So it, that's a hell of a challenge. So if I just start with a really, really good chorus that I think is a really good hook, then I can build to it. Oh, that's interesting. Of course, you could joke like, wait, you're lowering the bar because now you want the verse not to be as good as the chorus. And you're like, <laughs> no, you really need the verse to be not as strong as the chorus. Well, you know, but I, mean, I, but, I, but I do like but I do like songs and you have a lot of songs like this where every part is strong. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I there's a, there's a lot of bands. I'm not going to mention any, but a lot. Of, it seems like the chorus is a lost is a lost thing. It's like I hear a band and wow, this is a great verse. Wow, that singer is smoking. This is awesome. And then the chorus is a letdown. So I'm like, oh. and then people ask me, hey, what do you think of that band, man? They're just kids, but they sound amazing. And I'm like, huh? Two records, and I haven't heard a chorus. <laughs> Tell me, I'm, I'm a big Judas Priest fan, my friends know. And it's like, they have songs where every part's important. They actually have some songs where I think there are two choruses. There's the vocal chorus, and then there's like this other refrain that's just as catchy. That's not even the verse or anything. Right. And some of the, the uh, instrumental sections, too, like uh, Exciter. Yeah. Let's open up Unleashed in the East. What the hell, man? You hear this verse that's insane and then the chorus that's insane and then that melodic solo that just takes you somewhere else it's like are you watching a movie or listening to a rock band it's amazing that's what i think is is great when you find bands like that like i love this portuguese goth metal band called moonspell 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 they have an album called extinct that came out a few years ago and it's like the vocals range from that kind of a deep bass goth thing like growling and, and stuff like that but the music some of these songs have are just so layered they have like four or five different sections nice. you know and that's why i was like a big merciful fate fan back in the day because that stuff just goes uh, all over the place yeah. that's like that's like prog metal before there was prog metal well you know it's interesting how, how that works i'm gonna have to check out that moonspell but i, I feel like Everything's like so formulaic and everybody's using the same chord progressions and the same kind of melody patterns. And it's kind of bumming me out. But at the same time, I can only create when I want to create. And it's funny because I was thinking about that today. There's so many videos that pop up. Hey, you want to be a better singer? Hey, you want to be a better guitar player? Hey, you want to play faster? <laughs> hey, you want to be a better songwriter in 30 days? I'm like, you know what? It's, it's just a hard work. There's really no shortcut. Oh, I thought you were going to say, yeah, I do. <laughs> no, I want to make that video. Hey, guess what? Work hard and it'll happen. I'm close to your age. Like, do you remember back in the days in the 80s with Hit Parader? And this, I think it was this guy, Doug Marks. He had this big blonde hair. Yeah. He used to average like the metal method or whatever it was. I think that was his name. I remember when the wig came off and he was just normal looking dude. I want to look this up because I always remembered, and it turns out that Scott Travis from Priest actually played in that band wow. early on. So I'm looking up Doug Marks. Travis, not only is he amazing, he's such a cool dude. We did a rock and roll fantasy camp and we jammed some, uh, you know, oh, dude, I got to tell you my Judas Priest rock and roll fantasy camp. Oh, here we go. Okay. So I was a, a, a faculty member. So you're a faculty member. Me, say, for instance, Tracy Guns, Rudy Sarzo, you know, we're all like, we all have bands. Yeah. These people that pay to jam these guys. So it was a good week too, because I think Tony Iommi was that week. Too. Nice. So I got to sing uh, Neon Nights with Tony Iommi, and that was amazing. Wow. So I think Judas Priest, they split up the band. So one day it was Rob Halford, 
and Richie Faulkner. Yeah. And then it was the next day when it was Travis and uh, Ian Hill. So, but then at the, at, when we all jammed at the uh, whiskey, it was all four of them. So the really, really amazing. Cause it's kind of funny. Cause when sometimes they get up there, like Rob Halford gets up there and doesn't know who's who he doesn't know who's a faculty member. He doesn't know who's paying to be there. And hey, yeah, yeah. The pods kind of thing. So we're on stage and I'm, I know Richie, me and him, we've spoken for years and jam and jammed a couple of times. And I'm like, Hey man, that's uh we're doing hellbent for leather. And he goes, why don't you start? I go, yeah, but let's do the solo in unison. That would be amazing. And he's like, okay, let's do it. So I started and Rob looks over. He looks at the girl that runs the thing and he goes, he's good. Like, <laughs> like who's his guy, you know? And then afterwards she told me what he said. And I was, Hey, Rob, it's really nice to meet you. By the way, I'm kind of like, you know, how Richie Faulkner, uh, how he kind of replaced uh, KK Downing. I'm kind of in the same situation. I kind of replaced Richie Sambora and uh, Bon Jovi. And he's like, well, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, it's funny. I thought I saw you cameoed yourself. I guess your family wanted to like, have you cameo yourself for your birthday. A belated happy no, it birthday. Fans. It was fans. It was fans. I, I have, the fans I wanted you to cameo yourself. They hired me. So I, uh, I have a, a nap. And I have an app family. So I do a live chat twice a week, uh, Tuesdays and Fridays. Okay. And that's our hour of Q&A requests. I'll sing anything. Like, I'll seriously play and sing anything. Even if I don't know the words and I've heard it a couple of times, I will do anything. <laughs> except Nickelback for some strange reason. So they thought they were playing a trick on me. Hey, we have a fellow. He's a huge fan. Uh, of a Nickelback, so will you wish him a happy birthday and play a Nickelback song? And then, haha, it's you. So we want you to do a cameo for you. And I was okay. So what happens is, if you let it, if you do, if you get an order, a request for a cameo, and it expires, which is in a few days, sometimes okay. it's hard to keep up, right? Yeah. But if it expires, it, it gives you the option to send one for free, so that you don't piss off your fans, which I don't think any fans are going to get pissed off yeah, know, yeah. people are going to be busy, but I, I did it. And that's why I said, ha ha, I gotcha. I let it expire and I'm doing it for free. So you don't have to pay. But then at the same time, my wife and I do something called a hero drop where she cooks a ton of food and we deliver it to frontline workers. For instance, uh, uh, fire stations, uh, that's cool. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and we take donations. So all these five or six fans slash friends that ordered this cameo from me that I did for free, they took the money that they would have paid for the cameo and donated it to Hero Drop. So I thought, ha you thought you got me and I got you. And then they got me again. It was like, what's happening here? <laughs> well, it's, fun it's funny because I was like, because I guess you are a Nickelback fan, but you don't play Nickelback. Well, I said, you know, that's, there's a reason why. I, there's, I could sing almost anything. I could do like Zeppelin. I could do Neon Knights. I could do ACDC. I can't do Nickelback. Why, why is that? <laughs> it's not in the pipes. It's, it's that, uh, that Chad's got this voice. It's just. I was in their studio in 2003, and I think Joey Moe was telling me that he, he tends to blow up microphones. Wow. I talk about music, but you know, my thing, Side Jams, is also about people's hobbies and their outside passions, things that they do. Okay. It I, sounds like charity work is one of the things that you do, actually. 
You know, I dig it. I dig the, uh, I mean, COVID kind of put us in an awkward position. Yeah. It's like life has become a plan B is how I call it. Mm. You know, plan A was concerts and touring yeah. and shows and, you know, doing a lot of sessions and stuff like that. And plan B became, I still do sessions, but I do sessions at home and Dropbox, you know, or we transfer files around the country. I know. The world, the world, actually. So that's a good part. Um, we, we started doing, we're in Nashville now, but we start when we were still in LA last year, we started doing um, the hero drop then. And then when we moved here in November, once we got settled, it was like, we should start doing hero drops again. But like, what happened last year was really interesting because we just started doing it. And before we knew it, without prompting it or requesting anything, friends and family started donating. You, you know, it's, it's a tough time and you guys are doing something really amazing and it can't be cheap. So here's some money. And then when we invited just anyone, hey, if you want to participate or contribute, you're welcome to. Um, it started happening again and it's, it's happening here too. So some people are donating. Uh, we're actually hitting next on the 24th. We didn't want to do one today. It's usually a Wednesday, but we thought St. Patrick's Day is probably not a good day to, to hit a police station with lunch and dinner. So I think a lot of police officers take time off on, on a day like today. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So they said, you won't, you won't be feeding everyone if you do it today. So, so usually the police stations here, it's like a hundred people. We deliver it in two drops. One is at lunch. Okay. And then we get the second shift would be delivered around six. So it's usually a hundred people. So the, the thing that we're doing on the 24th is the, the actual, the huge main department that deals with all the behind the scenes stuff. Okay. All the detective work and stuff like that. So that's going to be 250 people. Wow. So we need another, we're having a friend that's coming and he's going to help us take it because we can't just get it into our car mm-hmm. or our SUV. So we're going to have two SUVs. And the kids usually come too, which is really exciting. The cool thing is my birthday was last week. Yes, belated happy birthday. Thank you. My wife surprised me. Like we had a couple of friends that kind of like, they, they're all nurses or firemen, captain guy, uh, nurses, and they all, they've all had COVID. They have all had the, sh- the vaccine. They, were, they came over as yeah. a surprise to me because one couple came from Chicago and the other couple came from Vegas. So it was like, wow, this is, what? We have visitors? Like we never have visitors. But the cool thing was, is I'm like, why is there a table on the sidewalk in front of the house? And my wife's like, stop asking. I'm not telling you. And I'm like, oh, you know what's going on? Do you know what's going on? And nobody, I can't tell you. So, okay, it's time. They're here. I'm like, who's here? So I go out front and Brentwood PD, 10 police cars parade in front of the house. And they're going whoop, whoop, and all this stuff. And this one guy who sings higher than me is singing happy birthday, Phil. And not only that, not only did they surprise us, but she surprised them with taking what we were having for dinner and putting into putting it into go to go plate. So every officer that showed up to drive by also got hot lasagna and some meatballs and a salad. It was was so amazing. Um, Stuff like that, you feel like you know what comes around goes around. It's it's just an incredible positivity of feelings going around you know it's pretty awesome. so as a hero drop is that the name you came up with is it what, what inspired this it's uh it was my girl came up with it 
she goes, these guys are heroes. We should be feeding them. And then it was hero food. No, I forget what it was. There was one name before, but then we settled on hero drop. And the funny thing was we got the kids in on the video. So my son is seven and my daughter is five. So she's explaining what a hero drop is. And it's so cute. She's like, so cute and she's talking like well if you don't drop you have you know we we my, my mommy works really hard to cook and she <laughs> she's going on so the hero drop is we get in the car we put the food in the car and we drop it off at, at the police's <laughs> i'm like it's just and then my son the police very, <laughs> yeah, so my son is very articulate he goes yeah we're literally the heroes to the heroes because you know it's which is literally in the name, Hero Drop. <laughs> How did he come up with this stuff? <laughs> and he said, no, he actually said, he go, and we didn't tell him, we didn't feed him lines. He just, from the top of his head goes, this is a small family that lives in this house, but it doesn't mean we can't do something big. That's cool. And I was like, wow, man, good job. So it's, it's pretty amazing to get the, the kids involved, you know? Yeah, yeah. So how long have you been doing it for now? We started a few weeks ago. I, I want to say uh, I remember it being a blizzard when I made the second drop to Brentwood PD. So that was a few weeks ago. You started this when you were in L.A., though, right? You say you started in L.A.? I started it in L.A. as soon as the lockdown happened. I want to say a, a month or two went by and then we started doing it. We have a friend that's a we have a lot of friends that work in hospitals. And we also have a friend who's a, a police. I mean, a, sorry, a fire a fireman at a fire station that was really close to where we lived in Chatsworth. And then. Uh, and then when we came here, we just started doing it again. And it's just, it's very, uh, you feel like you're doing something really great. And at a time like this, yeah, it's locked down. It's a, it's a good time to spread good feelings, you know? Well, yeah, I know. It's not just money too. It's like you're, you're bringing something, literally bringing something, food. Right. And then, I mean, a lot of people, you know, you could, you could take, uh, you could take a dozen donuts to a police station or you can deliver <laughs> Barbecue, corn, barbecue beans, uh, green beans, uh, all this stuff that my, my wife cooks downstairs and we can just take and feed 100 people. And it's just, it's pretty amazing. That's cool. Not to dog the donuts, because people always like donuts. Oh, I love donuts. <laughs> you know, it's funny, though, during this pandemic, because like, we have like, you know, a stop and shop here in the Northeast and I was... I was like, you know, they start packaging all in four now and they seal them up. I'm like, you know, this actually makes sense. Before we were just picking the donuts out of whatever the thing that they would have like with it, well, those, you know, those tongs. I'm like, you know, they should just seal these donuts up anyway. Because we had a lot of weird habits before the pandemic. And you start looking and going, you know, there's some things we were doing with food that probably weren't that hygienic. And maybe we should reconsider that in retrospect. You're totally right. I think so too. Yeah. It's strange. Is it strange? I think, uh, where are you? Where are you? I live in Long Island and I go to New York. My girl is in, in Brooklyn. So I go back and forth a lot. Okay. So like in, in LA, you know, there's Ralph's and, and Bonds. I lived in LA uh, many moons ago. Yeah. So like, man, that apple fritter looks good, but how many people touch that apple fritter? <laughs> I've never liked buffets. Cause you go and you're like, even with the sneeze guard, I'm just like, how many people have kind of gone? Not everyone thought about that stuff. And now like, I remember I was interviewing Tommy Lee a few months ago and he was saying like, man, look, look, we've been to going to Asia for, for, for decades. And it's like people over there wear them. If they're sick, like your cab driver's sick, he wears a mask. Yeah. People wear masks if they're sick out of respect for other people. Yeah. And I'm thinking we probably, we're going to have to start rethinking about how we live. You know, I think, I think this is sort of mother nature's hint that we need to reevaluate some things. Oh well, yeah, for sure, man. I mean, 
you know, it's it's like, a, and it's my, my kids, like the five and seven. So the whole last year has been a pandemic, right? So I feel so sorry for my son. He's doing uh, grade one on Zoom. How are they handling everything? It's kind of hard, right? You know, my every time we drive by uh, a playground, they want to go play, but they can't because <laughs> there's a whole bunch of kids there and nobody's wearing a mask, depending where we are, you know? Um, yeah. And there's, it's like, sorry, honey, we can't. And then she gets really down. And, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine doing the first grade on Zoom. So I think it's harder for kids than adults, to be honest with you. Like, I'm a writer and I can burrow. I can kind of, I mean, you're, you're a musician. Like, you got your studio. So right. if we have to be locked in, we can stay locked in for days at a time. For us, it's a little different. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and they're downstairs. And it's really cool. Like, I love having the studio at home because, I, I mean, I got two sessions in my email today that I started recording guitars on. And then at, uh, at, at six o'clock, one of the kids will walk up the stairs and come into the room and go, dad, dinner's ready. And I'm like, that's so cute and adorable and awesome at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so what other stuff do you do outside of music? What other things make you happy, bring you joy when you're not jamming, which is a lot of the time I know. Yeah, man. I mean, you know what, when I'm not making music, it's just about, it's just about being dad. You know, like they both love to draw. So we're drawing all the time. They both love projects. And my wife is a, a crafts girl. So we're constantly making stuff and doing stuff. And she gets them involved with cooking and I get them involved with, you know, he's got a little drum kit and, you know, we kind of make some noise together. They both, if I pull out a piano, like a little electric piano, like we, the last house that we lived, we had a piano. So they were always like sitting at it and, He's figuring out melodies and he knows a hook when it, when it hits him now. And without guidance, they're constantly singing and doing stuff. So I always like lend a, a hand. But again, not with too much guidance. I just want to see where they want to go on their own kind of thing. No, that's cool. He writes lyrics and stuff. And he comes up, hey, dad, it's, it's like, I got 12 words. I'm like, what? I have 12 <laughs> words. Let me know and I'll, I'll finish it. And I'm like, okay. So he gives me the 12 words and I'm like, wow, that's really cool. What are you going to rhyme with that? And he's like, I don't know yet. And then he comes an hour later, he's got to rhyme. So it's really amazing. Um, they both like making uh, displays. They call them displays. Hey, dad, check out my display. So he's taking all of his superhero figures mm. and created this scene. And I'm like, wow, what's that? And what's going on there? And so that's taken up a lot of my time. I, I, I really love having that involvement and that's the thing that's the silver lining of not touring right now mm. i'd be missing all this stuff that's what people, a lot of people are saying that actually especially musicians yeah. or people that are just have busy jobs yes so being home is an amazing an amazing thing i feel very full uh in my heart because getting to see the kids do so much and also the charity work is good too because that's a good example to set for them it really is. And they really dig it. And they re really dig do going too. So we have them, you know, in their car seats on the way to the police station and then they get out and they're wearing their little kid masks and we're setting up the food and they're involved. And uh, like, I mean, it, and the police officers, they're so appreciative, but they still, they still get, they engage the kids, you know, like, Hey, I'm off. I'm captain. Say I'm captain, whatever. And you can, you can call me uncle Jimmy. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> you 
Thanks. You know, it, it was funny though, because the chief of the Brentwood Police Department, he, uh, they have memories. It's they don't just forget this stuff. Yeah. So, you know, like a, I remember I had to do the second drop off by myself because it was really slippery out, and we didn't want to take a chance with the kids in the car. So I just took the second drop by myself, and they helped me unload it and stuff like that. And he was really cool, the chief of police. It's basically he comes up and he goes, "Okay, guys, so." Philip and I'm gonna go, yo, yo, chief. It's never Philip. It's just Phil. Mr. He, X. <laughs> yeah. He goes, okay. So Phil and his wife and his kids were here earlier dropping off lunch, and it's just Phil because of the weather. But we want to really thank them. And he presented me with a coin. Like you have to be really, I don't know, what you have to do to get a coin. But this is how this is what we give out, and this is how you get it. And he put the coin in his hand and he took my hand. And gave me a handshake, but left the coin in it. And I was like, wow, this is, this is pretty amazing. So we've, we've been getting coins at these uh, police departments. The funny thing is, is he was among the police officers that came for the drive-by birthday greeting. Yeah. And he got out of the car and he had his mask on. And he's walking over to me and he goes, happy birthday, Phil. Never Philip. <laughs> I'm like, you remember that? <laughs> That's going to be like the sitcom of your life. You'll be Phil, never Philip. Exactly. Right. Hey, that's the writing brain going, isn't it? I do that all the time, man. I mean, you do, you get you got to do that. You have like, a, yeah, I had this last night. I was about to go to bed. I was only going to get two hours of sleep before I drove up because I was behind on some work. I'm a vampire. So I go to bed at like four in the morning and I'm lying there and I'm like, oh, damn it. I've got an idea. And I had to get up and I spoke it into my voice recognition. I'm like, I better do this now because, you know, the good ideas will stick with you. But sometimes they don't. Sometimes you just have too much going on in your brain. And three days later, you're like, oh, I had a great idea. And it's like it's it's gone forever. So. Right. And you know, there's two ways to look at that. One way is it couldn't have been that good if I forgot it. And the other thing is that the other one is, damn it. I know it was good, but I can't think of it. That's why my son says so many crazy things that since he was two, I started writing them in my phone. I have like a notes that's Xavier, what Xavier says. Okay. And now it's up to a hundred and stuff. Like they've been on the road so we could be in Chicago at the hotel and he says something and I'm like, I got to write that down. Can't forget it. And then he'll, or if, cause I know if he, if I don't write it down, he'll be, I'll be like, Oh man, he said something last week and I can't even remember what it was. It was so good. Cause a lot of it is gold. Like at one point there's going to be a coffee book stuff that X says and Every page is going to be something that he drew and something that he said. And I actually, that's actually a good idea. But <laughs> we're being for your children's good. album. Right. It's good <laughs> to have a catalog, right? You know, I was thinking, I mean, with the charity work, did you create your own organization or is it just something you guys do personally? Well, see, that's the thing. We're here in, an, in a new state. So we're kind of juggling what we want to do because it looks like we may go back to California. It looks like... Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we tried, we keep trying to escape, but we can't, we keep, keep getting sucked back in. Um, God, we tried Vegas three. for a couple of years, yeah. We tried, we tried Vegas for a couple of years and went back, and now we're here in Nashville and we're thinking of going back. So, obviously, the, we want to do a non, it's, it is a non-profit, there is no profit, but it's not a, registered as a non-profit yet. So, we're thinking, do we want to do that now and then have to do it again in California, or should we just wait? So, we're, we're kind of 
you know, tossing it around right now. Was it something you'd like to turn into like a, a larger organization or like a regional or national thing? Is that the idea? I mean, do you actually need to incorporate to do this kind of stuff or create anything? That's the stuff we have to look into. I think Lindy loves doing it. And if I do get busy down the road and she wants to keep doing it, then it'd be cool to be able to get help, hire some people to help out or have four or five going. I don't know about regional. I don't know. We'll see. Do you have other friends that do stuff like this? No. Oh, you're the role model. Well, you're not supposed to be a role model. You're a rock star. <laughs> it's, it's okay to be both if you have kids. It's a strange scenario now, rock and roll. Is, I mean, I was talking to Christian Swain, who's like the head of the podcast network I'm a part of. He's like, I was thinking, yeah, I mean, it, rock and roll is like a new sort of kick in the ass somehow in the mainstream. He's like, well, you realize this art form has been around for 70 years. I'm like, oh, yeah. Punk's been around for like 50 years and New Wave's been around for 40 years and hip hop's been around for like 40 years. It's crazy. It is. It's, it's, uh, but you know, the thing is, is like we were talking earlier, uh, and I was mentioning songs and then what I grew up with. And at our age, what I look back at the most is when, when we lose someone, like obviously we've been losing people and artists for years and years because as we get older, they get older. Yeah. Ed, Eddie Van Halen was a hit for me. It was devastating. But in my head, like when I was 14, I saw the 1980 invasion tour. It was uh, Women and Children First. Yeah. And that was like, what the? Like, it was like four superheroes flying around on stage playing the coolest music ever. So it changed my life. And then I saw uh, 81, 83, 84. And having seen that and remembering that, I try to tell people what it was like. And it's, there aren't enough words to describe and then you see videos and stuff like that, but it's still not the same thing. You know, it's not the same as being there. That's something that's actually I've, I've discovered about. Um, like I, I found uh, I found videos of, of concerts I was at and just it's one camera. Right. And like, yeah, it's cool. You see the stage, but it's uh, that is the thing about live music that you can't bootleg. Right. The electricity. Like, you know, somebody said one once. Uh, I think it was Gene Simmons. He's got some great lines. Somebody was like, wait. I know what he said. I got to think of what the fan said. Um, okay, and it's now. Now it's gone. Now it's gone. But it's along the lines. It's along the lines <laughs> of when people go, I wish I could see you live. And I'm like, me too. <laughs> you know, it's one of those <laughs> things that Gene Simmons will never see Kiss on stage, right? Exactly. Because he's on. So it's, it's that kind of thing. Like, I feel like um, the amazing thing of, of getting a, a, a mega gig like Bon Jovi is... My mom, you know, if I play Toronto at Air Canada Center, which it's not really called that anymore, um, she's sitting like right there watching me yeah. play Wanted Dead or Alive with Bon Jovi and beaming. Cause, and then and John's, he's a family guy too. So there was one gig in Toronto where he said, hey, why don't you sing um, the second verse of Wanted Dead or Alive for your mom tonight? And there's nothing like that. There's nothing like that. You know, there's nothing like being a parent. There's nothing like playing in a mega band at the local arena for your mom. <laughs> you know? And playing smaller venues with the drills. Well, and, and you know, it's funny. She loves doing that too. Like, but she gets. Those are some more of the best swamped. gigs sometimes too. Yeah. But she gets more swamped than I do. She like people, because people recognize her from a photo or something like that. Oh. Like, hey, Phil's mom. And she's like, there's 
freak out. Actually, it was funny because I didn't know this would happen. I didn't know before I knew in 2011 when I was still filling in for Richie. Yeah. My mom came to see me play in Houston with my brother because he lives, he was living in Austin at the time. So they met at Houston to see us play. And I took a picture of her backstage with me, like a selfie, put it on Instagram. And that night, before we went on, people started coming up to her, to my mom, and going, oh, my God, you're Felix's mom. Oh, thank you for thank you for giving birth to him so he could help our band out. And they're giving her all these, I don't know, speeches. They're giving her all this positivity and stuff. But she starts freaking out. And she's like, this is my other son. And hides, hides behind my brother. Like, it just kind of freaked out. I could see where the fans are coming from. Yeah, but I can understand her because I'm not used to that. Yeah, yeah, not used to that at all. You've been on a wild ride. I mean, you I mean, you're from the same area as Triumph, Mississauga, right? Right. Where it doesn't even have to apply to music, but what valuable life lessons have you accumulated that you could pass on to people, people younger than you, too? What I, I mean, it was all hard work, so... I mean, I actually scratched the surface earlier when I said people want to know how to, how can I be a, a better musician? How can I be a better guitar player or singer or even a better mixer or producer or anything like that? And it's all hard work. It's all, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I, uh, I went Habsies on a Stratocaster when I was 11 with my dad. So like, here, you watch this is at the restaurant. You save your money. When you have a certain amount, I'll match it. Yeah. So I saved 175 bucks, and we went and got a secondhand Stratocaster at this weird guy's apartment. My dad matched my dough, 350. I have a Stratocaster, and then I kept washing dishes. And then before I knew it, I had a Marshall head, and then, and now I'm cooking, <laughs> or now I'm bartending, or whatever, and paying for a cabinet. You know, I mean that whole thing. So when People, when I say I put out a pickup that's 150 bucks or I got this overdrive pedal that I rave about and yeah. this kid comes on and, and goes, yeah, I, I wish I could afford that. Um, I feel like saying, cut some lawns, man. Nothing's going to be handed. Does, any, does anybody cut lawns anymore? I did that. But does anybody do that actually anymore? You know, paper route. <laughs> paper route. Cut the lawns. I mean, I feel like you got to do something. You know, like my friend, when my drummer and the drummer in my band when I was 16 worked at Taco Bell, you know, like, and he was, he still has the employee of the month plaque. Really? In his house. So, I mean, if you want something bad, that's how he paid for drumsticks. If that, if you want something bad enough, you got to make it happen. It's, it's like people feel more entitled these days. Like if I can't afford it, it's not, it should just be given to me or something like that. I don't understand the mentality because I grew up in a different time, but I think yeah. it still applies today. I think it applies to everything. I think if you want to be a faster guitar player, there's no shortcuts. You just got to work. And for me, you know, it was like, I was working my ass off when I was a kid and playing all the time. And I had a guitar in my hands, maybe eight hours a day. And that's how, Hey, do you want to be in this band? Hey, do you want to be in that band? And when I, I was with one band at a Q107 in Toronto Christmas thing and Mike Levine from Triumph comes up to me and I'm like, Hey man, how's it going? Looking for a guitar player. He goes, well, I've been asking around and everybody's telling me about you. And I'm like, how does this happen? Hard work. Well, that's it. I mean, that's what I say. Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. 
Exactly. You know, as much as people want to say uh, being at the right place at the right time, what if you're not prepared? Then that knock on the door is going to go awry because you weren't prepared. So it's like my experience with Tommy Lee was I was painting the producer's garage when they were working on Methods of Man in 99. And, you know, Scott Humphrey, another Canadian, mm. uh, was producing. And Tommy was, hey, we need a guitar player to play on this record. And Scott was like, let's get Phil. And Tommy's like, the dude painting in the garage? And <laughs> Scott's like, yeah, I'm telling you. So I come in and I pick up a Les Paul, start recording guitars. And Tommy's like, dude, you got to play on the whole record. But if I didn't deliver because I put so many hours into my craft, well, yeah. that, that wouldn't have went that way. That would have been like, yeah. Here's the paintbrush. Go back to the, the third wall. <laughs> what have you learned about people after all this time? Um, if you're doing anything in life, you're going to meet great people and you're going to meet weirdos. And I don't think, I don't know if there's any, like, I mean, even when I was bartending at my dad's place, I, I gravitated to people that were cool and omitted people that weren't. So that's, that's the bartending gig. And then when you start playing, you meet, fans that are that really articulate why they like you and they're fans that they like you because somebody else likes you and it's it's you know my fans on my phil x app have become friends because we, we joke so much and laugh and i get to do the phil x show and everybody's you know having fun and I'm having fun and I feel like it's a form of therapy like because we can't play on stage I'm going to come out here and this is the cream of the the crop the the tip of the peak yeah is when we have a a lady on our um live chat every Tuesday and then Wednesday she has chemo wow so she takes middle finger on her phone into the waiting room and jams middle finger by the drills before she has chemo and she's giving cancer the finger. Yeah. So she'll come on on Tuesday and go, Hey Phil, I got chemo tomorrow. Can you sing middle finger? And I'm like a hundred times if you want. And it's, it goes back to, I was explaining this story the other day. Um, before I was in the bigger bands, I was, I had a band called powder in LA and we would play the key club and we would do really well there. But there was a fan and she was 18, and I met her in the parking lot when I was throwing my Marshall cabinet into my truck. And a couple of weeks later, she lost her arm in a car accident. Oh, my God. And you're, you're thinking about getting a new manager, and you're thinking about you need a better entertainment lawyer, and you're thinking about the industry. Everything is industry. We're doing really good. We got something good going, but we don't have the right industrial pieces together to get to the next level. And when you get a message on your message board saying, Hey, you met this girl, Lisa at the last powder show. And, and she, you know, she was in a car accident lost her arm. She's still in the hospital healing, but if you could give her a call, that would be amazing. Give me the number. And I get on the phone and I call, hi, um, I'm looking for Alyssa. And she's like, it's Alisa. I'm like, okay, well, this is Phil X from powder. And she goes, no, it's not. You know, like, <laughs> like uh, David Cassidy calling Marsha Brady, right? And I'm like, no, it, it, it really is. And uh, Dustin, if this is you, this is a cruel joke. And I'm like, no, no, this is Phil. We met in the parking lot. I was putting my cabinet in my truck. We met in the parking lot two weeks ago at the Key Club at, at the Powder Show. And it's me. And once I convinced her, she said, 
oh my God, I just have to tell you that listening to your CD helped me get through this whole thing. And that's, that's the epiphany of fuck the industry and that and all these pieces that we're, we're chasing yeah. to get our, to the next level in our career. When we move fans, the listener, the people that buy the music, the people that listen to the music and love the music and love the lyrics and love the melodies. And, and that, that, that's really what hit me. Like, you know, screw all that stuff. It's all about the fans. We, we touch them. They, they remember how they felt when they heard this song and there's nothing like that. Yeah. You know, I've realized during this pandemic, I know people who are having a hard time with it and some people it's, it's harder than others. And I, I just remind myself and try to remind some of my friends where it's not so bad. I'm like, look, you know, this is bad, but there's a lot of people doing way worse, having a way worse situation. And yeah, hoping, I don't know that everyone's getting, I'm hoping some people are, it, it's not, it's, it's rethinking your life and thinking what you want out of life and thinking what's going to be important once you get back into what we consider real life. Exactly. And, and even when it starts getting, getting normal, it still won't be like a hundred percent of what it was. Oh, it never will be. That's the thing but, I think people haven't accepted yet. Yeah. But that's, that's experience. Right. And that's like, I mean, I do have friends that, um, they feel like it's not, you know, like, oh man, I had COVID and I just couldn't taste anything for a week, but they don't, I don't think a lot of people, I don't think the dynamic and spectrum registers yeah. with people. Like, it's not just, you don't taste anything and dead. There's a lot in between. Well, there's also people who have lingering effects too. They're finding some people, some people have very mild cases of it. And some people are, are going to have problems. I know someone had like a cough for two months afterwards. Exactly. Or not even tasting thing for, for a while. And crazy. some people were just really, really sick. I almost lost a friend a few months ago. Oh, wow. And then I did lose a friend last month. I'm sorry. And that, that's when it really sinks in. And like, he was an we met working on an Avril Lavigne record years ago. He was an engineer. I was the guitar player. And then he started producing. And then we started, we just did, started doing a lot of projects together. And he was one of those guys that just had his own way of talking. And his name was Brian. We used to call it Brian Speak because he has this, he would just say the coolest things. Like, I mean, hey, man, is that in the pocket? He goes, it's deep in the caverns of metal. And I'm like, <laughs> that's good. And he would say stuff like that. And then, you know, you'd work and laugh. We laughed a lot. And then I, when I found out he was in the hospital and then it was three weeks and then I was like, oh, he's going to make it. It's like our other friend, Joe, he made it. He pulled through. He's good. And then I get the text saying he's gone. And it's like, how does that happen, man? Like, it's just heartbreaking, you know, that that is even a possibility. So when people are like, come to me and say, it's not a big deal. I have to re remove myself from the conversation so I don't get into a fight. Yeah, I had a, I had a friend who she introduced me to one of my best friends. And we always stayed in touch and we would just talk even if we weren't working together on stuff. And she beat cancer and then two weeks later it came back and then two months later she was gone. And it's like, it's surreal. Like all of a sudden, like what? Yeah. Did that just happen? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about all the things that I want to do. What are, you know, are there other interests, other things that you want, you've always wanted to do that when we get out of this thing that you're like, I'm going to go do this. Like, is there something you're just dying to do? You know, this, it's funny because a lot of people are like, man, I want to go skydiving or I want to, you know, explore a tomb in Egypt. This, you know, I just, I want to, I feel like I've done so much that I'm really happy and proud of and the achievements of, it's a long list of stuff. I, I just, 
I just now it's about the kids for me. Being a dad, I just I want I want my I want to take my kids to Europe. I want I want to take them to other parts of the world so they can see how stuff is. Obviously, I'm going to wait till they're a little longer. Tico talks about, hey Hector, don't you remember when we went to Paris? Nope, because <laughs> he was too young. <laughs> I want to, you know, there's so many things that I want to do with uh, with with uh, my kids and my my wife, and you know, I want them to see the world. So I'm, I'm putting what I want to do in in the back seat so they can see more like my dad was like that mm. i know there's stuff that he wanted to do but he he took us to greece when we were 11 you guys got to see where you come from that's cool and i was 11 my sister was a little older and it was like you know a, a little i don't even Renault, a really tiny car my parents four kids my grandfather and luggage and a tiny hatchback it's like right around Greece. That's what I remember. But I mean, there's something really at the seat that I guess that's the point. I remember. I remember all that stuff, which is pretty amazing. I want to get out and I just want to travel. I mean, you obviously, I'm sure you've had a lot of fun traveling. I'm sure you've seen that. Hopefully you've seen the world a bit and not just a tour bus in the back of the venue. Well, no, you know what? I love the thing with Bon Jovi's too is days off when you can just walk around. And it's funny because I, I say you're in Sweden, you know, I was just walking around for hours and then I got to the show the next day and John Shanks, our guitar player, we hang out and he's like, you were gone all day yesterday. I go, yeah. He goes, Hey, check your phone. I go, what? You look, look at your health app. And it said that I walked like seven miles and I was just walking around Stockholm or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, when you're in a different part of the world, you just want to walk around and check it out and taste the food and the, and drink the drinks and stuff. Um, and I'd love that. I'd love my kids to see that. And, you know, because of Bon Jovi, I got to see a lot of amazing places. So I'd like to share that. You know, it's funny. Um, like for you, like when you finally went to Cuba, like what did you, what was your favorite city? What was like, where did you, like, what did you want to, well, we were just in Havana because that was it was for the fast date junket, which was so, so that was like they they put us up in the first five star hotel in Cuban history that opened up two weeks earlier. And then we got there and the publicist said, so we've learned that room service takes three hours to never. Um, wow. It was it was it was it just I'm not hungry, but I'm going to order. It was just interesting to see the people. I mean, there's so much poverty there. I took eleven hundred photos in four days. So I showed my mother the photos and it was just not the Cuba sheet. Remembered. Matter of fact, all those kind of pastel colored buildings that you see in old Havana. Yeah. That wasn't there when she was growing up. I think that's that's a tourist thing. And the first time I ever remember seeing that kind of image was in Elian, when Elian Gonzalez came over here and his mother had died bringing him over. And, of course, Castro's been doing this big propaganda campaign to have him sent back. Like, oh, look at this nice street he lives on. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's I mean, there's cracks in the sidewalks and the streets you have to watch. Occasionally you have to watch where you walk. I mean, the people were great. The food was amazing. I was with this one producer from NBC and we were in a club that was like Miami Vice. I wanted to take photos, but they had these big, huge, like Schwarzenegger-like bodyguards. And I, people were taking stuff with their phone, but I had a real camera system. I asked them, like, no, don't do that. Yeah. And then we walked down the street in the dark, 1230 in the morning. We didn't feel unsafe. There was just, and we walked by these four guys playing dominoes in, in the side of the street, middle of the night. We walked by another place. It's a cafe open at one in the morning, like on a second floor of a house. And then we end up in a club called Yellow Submarine. That's a Beatles-themed club. And guess Guess what they're doing? They're doing cover tunes. They're doing cover tunes, including Bon Jovi. Wow. That's great. I've heard people like dancing in the streets and kids like. No, but they, uh, at night, it's a place called the Malacon, which is like uh, it's on the, along the water. So there's all these couples and people out at two in the morning. 
like on a weeknight. Oh, they're yeah. just hanging out because they have nowhere to go. And a lot of them don't have a lot of money. And so they just they try to live the best they can. Yeah. It's a surreal atmosphere. And it was weird knowing that we're eating at restaurants that some of them can't eat in. But it was it was fun, but depressing. Look, we have an interesting life. We meet interesting people. I get to do this. I get to chat with you. Yeah. See. You know, and I have this. I was going to show you this photo. There's this guy here. Whoa. That's yeah. 2013. He looks happy. Yeah. Well, this because this is my Bon Jovi book that I actually wrote four and a half years ago. Dude, wait, I didn't know you wrote that. I wrote it. I didn't know if you knew that I wrote it. I didn't know. Now I do. I mean, I've signed. I've signed that picture for fans. But not in that book. Yeah. Yeah. Really? They bring the book, open up to my page, and give me a silver silver Sharpie. I would sign the corner and move on. When I did it, I said to them, look, I want to do a book for the fans. And I want to do a book where I talk about all the guys in the band. It's fun. Yeah. And actually, when I do an updated edition, I have to add more stuff about you because we have these two-page sidebars. I'm like, well, now i got to do a whole other section on Phil. Whole section. I get a section. Yeah, because I remember when I, when I was researching this, I'm like, i got to check out more of Phil's stuff. And I'm like, wait a minute. He played with Aldo Nova, who I interviewed. <laughs> I tracked down Aldo Nova in 2003, 2004 wow. to do liner notes for his first album for Sony. He was living in Ireland at the time. Yes, he was. So I tracked him down. He would tell me all sorts of stories about getting that album done and then uh, – you work with a lot of people and triumph, obviously. Yes. I still talk to Phil all the time. Every time I go visit my mom in Mississauga, he comes and picks me up and we go to Tim Hortons for coffee. Well, hopefully we'll see you out on tour. I'd like to hopefully see you with your band, not just the big band, but like your yeah. band. Yeah. Hopefully we'll be on the East Coast with uh, the drills. That would be awesome. Great to chat with you. Yeah. Great to chat with you too. And hopefully we'll chat again at some point. Stay out of trouble. You too. Be a rock star and a role model. Oh, man. I can't. I, I, it's a job that never ends when you have kids. <laughs> All right, dude. Thanks, man. I'll catch you later. Thanks. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. That wraps up this latest Side Jams. Please join me next time when I'll be speaking with Perry Farrell. The tunes used in this episode are from Fox and the Law, and I license them through AudioSocket. Thanks very much for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.